Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. I'm so excited to be here, be here and uh, be able to share with you this morning. So um, Colossians 3, 16 and 17 Matt's read that as the memory passage. I would really encourage you to memorize that this next week, but it's actually the passage I'm going to teach from too. So it's in your bulletin. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up with me. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word, this amazing and precious word. And God, this morning, I pray that you would work in us, Lord, a deep and powerful And I would even say a radical gratitude. God, a deep joy that overflows in abundant thanksgiving. So God, do it this morning. Lord, you must do it. Because I can't. I can't make it happen in my heart. I can't make it happen in anybody else's. But God, you can come and breathe upon us by your spirit and take this word and make it alive in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We sang a song a little bit ago. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit that he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again. When we sing that song, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because that belief is not just meant to be out here, something distant from you that you believe, some kind of distant doctrinal statement that you can turn to and say, yes, I believe that. But it is meant to deeply impact your life. What we believe about God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and ourselves, now that he's come, has meant to deeply impact us and not leave us the same. In fact, the part where it says we believe in the Holy Spirit and that he's given us new life. So if the Holy Spirit has given us new life, it is not the old life warmed over. Okay, It is not the old life just a little bit different and better. It is new life, new life in Jesus Christ given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Four or five years ago now, there was a study done by psychologists on thanksgiving and gratitude. And the group was split up. And one group, this was not a Christian study, just a secular study. One group was given the project of having some kind of gratitude journal. And the other group was given the project or the the assignment of writing down all the negative things that happened to them during the day, during every day. Not surprisingly, the group that kept a gratitude journal experienced higher levels of alertness and determination and optimism and happiness 
They had less stress, less depression. This shouldn't surprise us at all. Well, as we are approaching Thanksgiving Day, I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about Thanksgiving. How appropriate, right? As we approach this day that is even recognized nationally in our country, where we give thanks very deliberately, we think about things that we are thankful for. I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about Thanksgiving. This is such a pervasive theme throughout all of the Bible. I think 50 times in the Psalms, right? probably 50 Psalms themselves, give reference to giving thanks to God. All throughout the New Testament, giving thanks to God. Thanksgiving Day is a great day. I love Thanksgiving Day. I like everything about it. Okay, I like getting together with people I love. I like eating really good food, Okay, especially dessert. I like everything about it. But Thanksgiving is not nearly big enough for Jesus. Jesus is way too big to be celebrated and given thanks to one day a year. We want to be Christians who are constantly overflowing in gratitude, don't we? I would say that thanksgiving and being people full of gratitude, thanksgiving to God, probably is a test of where we are spiritually as much as anything else. If I were to say, are you happy in Jesus? And you were to say, yes. And I were to say, are you overflowing in gratitude? And I say, well, I'm happy in Jesus. I'm not sure if I'm overflowing in gratitude. Well, overflowing in gratitude is probably the evidence that you are happy in Jesus. So this shows our spiritual temperature. Maybe unlike anything else. Because it's not just joy in the abstract, but is is my heart overflowing in gratitude to God through Jesus Christ? Our text here this morning is Colossians 3, 16 and 17, which we'll go through momentarily. But back in chapter 2 here in Colossians, here's what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. As you receive Christ and he's come into your life, be rooted and grounded in him and built up. Established in the faith. And what's the result of that? Abounding in thanksgiving. Or or NIV, I think, says overflowing. In gratitude. This verse shows us, I think, explains to us what thanksgiving is. What giving thanks is. What gratitude is. It doesn't define it in a nice, neat, and tidy way. But it shows us what thanksgiving is and what it is not. Thanksgiving is much more. It's so much more than uttering the words thank you. We know that, don't we? Have your kids ever said thank you to you and you just know that they were not thankful? Has that ever, come on, has has that ever happened? Have you ever said thank you for something that you really weren't thankful for? It's not like your heart was welling up like, man, I am so thankful for this. You said thank you because it was the proper thing to do. Thanksgiving biblically 
is so much more than instructing our mouth and our lips to move and our vocal cords to work to say thank you for something. It's something that wells up deep within our hearts. Some might read the words of Paul here and and think that Paul is merely saying, make sure you say thank you a lot. And I'm not against writing notes down, okay? Be thankful today. But if in your mind being thankful today is just making sure you say thank you to the person at the cash register and you say thank you to your spouse for making a meal for you and you say thank you to this person and that person, without it being a heart issue, then we haven't gotten to the root of thanksgiving. Paul's saying much more than that. Thanksgiving is one of the outlets of inward joy. So if it is possible to be abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing in gratitude, like something you cannot get enough of, isn't that what we should shoot for? I mean, do we want to, do we want to set our sights low or high? Let me, let me put it this way. If there are three categories, and I know it's not quite this tidy, but if there's three categories we could fall into, hatred for Jesus, love for Jesus, and then kind of just the middle ground where we're kind of okay with Jesus, but we don't want to get too crazy about him. Where do we want to be? Certainly not hatred with Jesus, but are we okay being in the middle? Where Jesus is cool, he's okay, but I don't want to get too crazy about Christ. We don't want to settle for mediocrity, do we? We want to settle for fullness of Christ, overflowing in joy, which then releases gratitude, don't we? We want to be overflowing in thanksgiving to God, don't we? Not getting much response, don't we? I think we do. That's where we want to be. Did Jesus die for you and I to be lukewarm in our love for him, in our response to him, in our gratitude to him? Of course not. If Jesus is as glorious as the Bible says he is, as the gospel proclaims and shows him to be, then we don't want to settle for mediocrity. We want to be overflowing in gratitude, abounding in thanksgiving. We make Jesus, and I I was so convicted by this yesterday, we make Jesus look like a lame savior when we're complainers. We make him look pathetic. But he is not pathetic. He is glorious beyond measure. So let's shoot for abounding in thanksgiving. We don't have a mediocre savior. We have an amazing one. So how do we make it our goal to abound in thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is not something we can make ourselves do. It's not like... You know, you can make yourself, my wife makes these veggie drinks and we have this veggie uh, juicer and I don't like the taste of them, but I can make myself drink it because I know it's good for me. Thanksgiving, this thing that wells up in your heart is not like saying, drink your vegetable juice this morning. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to down it. I'm done. I'm good for the day. Now I can go have my Twinkies or whatever else I want to have. All right because I've had my veggie drink. It's not like that. For me just to say, give thanks, be thankful, overflow in gratitude. If I left it there, it only leaves you frustrated. 
and anxious as to how to do, how do I do that? How do we make our goal, how do we make it our goal to abound in thanksgiving, to overflow in gratitude? So as we look forward to Thanksgiving Day, as we lead up to it, as we're celebrating it that day, and certainly as we move beyond it and all throughout the year, we would say we are celebrating, we are in a Thanksgiving Day today. Well, I think our passage shows us three things. One is growing in gospel consciousness. Two is a deep gospel togetherness. And three is do life in the gospel. I'm going to take those one at a time. Growing in gospel consciousness. C.S. Lewis once said, gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. And what is the greatest good that God has given us? What is the greatest good that God has given us that we will never exhaust and plumb the depths of? It is his own son, Christ. And probably the most famous verse that we have heard so many times, unfortunately, it's lost its punch for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. His love overflowed toward us in giving the gift of his son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Verse 16 of Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ, I believe, Paul is saying the gospel, the word about Jesus, the message of Jesus. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ dwell in you richly. In a nutshell, Paul is saying, let the gospel message get in you and dwell there, not on a superficial level, but deep and rich. This verse is similar to what Paul says in Romans 10, 17, where he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the message of Christ. And what Paul's saying in that context is when the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of faith in the hearing of the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. A lot of us here have grown up in church, so I'm going to say something, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I am not saying, well, let me put it this way. So many of us assume the gospel. When we think about Christ coming and giving himself for us, the love of God coming through Christ, the becoming the righteousness of God in Christ, the gospel, we just assume we know it because we've heard it. But Paul's saying, let it dwell richly within you. I love the way the Message Bible puts this verse. It says, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Let it have the run of the house in you. Let it set the tone in your life, in your heart, in your mind. Let it have the run of the house. <clears throat> Let it begin to affect you at the deepest possible level. 
And here's what our passage says is the effect. When the gospel dwells in us richly, here's how you know if it is or not. Here's how you know. It produces singing. I'm not saying that we're going to be singing in our cars all the time, verbally out loud, but we are going to be singing in our hearts. Here's how you know if the gospel is in your life and working its way in your life and affecting your life in a deep and rich and powerful way if you are a singer in your heart. Right? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When the word of Christ richly dwells within us, it transforms us, it changes us at the heart level, and we can't help but sing. When Luke's up here singing these songs, strumming these songs for us, and Alyssa and the rest of the team, they're leading us in worship. I hope there's more going on than just a little emotional pick-me-up because of the tune. I hope there's more going on than just reading words on a screen. I hope the word of Christ is dwelling in you and I richly so that we overflow in singing to God. Let the gospel so affect you, Paul is saying here, that you spontaneously erupt in joyful and gracious singing to God. Have you ever been so excited about Jesus and his good news and the message of Christ that it made you sing? It can happen. It can happen. In fact, it's commanded to happen. We should never settle for less. We should never settle for merely being a professing Christian who says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. That's great. But we shouldn't settle for merely having right doctrinal statements about God. We should never settle for being merely a church attending Christian. We certainly shouldn't settle for being a list keeping Christian. Let's go for being a white hot, joyful, outrageously grateful Christian. Let's shoot for that. Because that's who Christ is. That's how amazing our Savior is. That's what he is worthy of. And so let's aim for that. There's a vast difference between knowing the gospel in your head and experiencing the sweetness of it on your heart. The former may enable you to explain the gospel, but can never cause you to sing for joy alone. Jonathan Edwards, a famed Puritan pastor from the 1700s, he said this kind of a long quote, but please follow along. Here's what he said. Thus, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness because you've tasted it, right? I can tell you honey's sweet, but if you've never tasted it, you can spout what I told you. But how much better to taste the sweetness of honey? 
We can know the gospel is good news. We can know it's amazing. But how much better for us to actually taste and see that it really is that good. That we taste the sweetness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that it makes us want to sing. So let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Again, I said this before, but it's not as though we can make this happen. We can't just force ourselves to make the word of Christ dwell in us richly such that we sing and are thankful, full of gratitude. But neither are we to sit, merely sit around passively and wait for, you know, let go and let God. If you ever heard that phrase before, I don't like that phrase. We're not, so we can't make it happen, but we're also not to just passively sit around. Rather, we are strangely commanded to let it happen. Let this happen. It's a passive imperative. So how do we do this? Well, we've been given as Christians, we've been given the wonderful duo of the Holy Spirit and the Bible. The Holy Spirit and the scriptures. And apart from these two things, and I mean together, this powerful tandem of the Spirit of God and the scriptures, apart from it, the word of Christ will not dwell in you and I richly. So here's what I would say. This powerful duel, the the spirit of God, who is God himself, the author of the scriptures and his word, where he speaks of Jesus, marinate in the gospel of the gift of God's love and grace that he gives you freely in Christ. Think of what the gospel is saying. You and I at one time were dead in our sins, totally dead to God alienated from him because of our real committed sins. And because of our real committed sins, we were under the judgment of God. His wrath hovered over us like a storm cloud. Right? The Bible says we were enemies of God. Now, some may say here, I never had hostility toward God. The Bible says you and I did. We were doing evil deeds in the hostility of our heart toward God, thumbing our nose at him. And Christ came. And Christ came. And the Bible says he bridged the gap, this infinite chasm between us and God. Jesus came and made a way for us to come to him. He, we once were alienated, but he reconciled us to the Father through his blood on the cross. On the cross, when Jesus was there hanging on the tree, he not only took your sins, but he also took the judgment you and I deserve because of our sins. He was the propitiation for our sins. He was bearing the wrath of God in your place and in my place. So we take the scriptures which tell us about this gospel but we don't just do that. See, my, my thought is that oftentimes, and, and, I, and I think we do this because I know I've done this. Maybe you haven't, but I think generally we probably have or do this. We think, we think Bible, I need to spend time in the Bible, and then I need to spend time fellowshipping with the Spirit. Rather than opening up our Bibles and saying, Holy Spirit, make this Burn in my heart. 
So how does the word of Christ richly dwell within us? By doing that. By taking our Bibles and seeking out the word of Christ. What Jesus has done, who he is, who we now are in him. Things we probably know and have heard. But we say, Holy Spirit, take this word and make it alive in me like never before. So that forgiveness of sins, oh, I'm yawning right now. That's kind of boring stuff, right? Eternal life, oh yeah, I know I'm going to heaven someday. Are you kidding me? He rose from the dead and so I'll never die. Is that, is that something to yawn about? No way. No way. We have much to be thankful for. We have much to overflow in gratitude concerning. So much. The fact that God now looks, at, looks on us. We sing that song, for you are for us. You are not against us. Not everyone can say that. But if you're in Christ, you can. Right? He is for you. He's not against you. But maybe at one time he was against you because of your sin. He is for you now. That is not something to easily brush off. and Say, let's move on. God, make that real in me. Holy Spirit, come and make that alive in me such that I am overflowing in gratitude. So marinate in the gospel of God's love and grace through Christ and ask the Holy Spirit to make this word, take this word and cause it to awaken you. And when that begins to happen, don't let it stop. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and keep on letting it dwell in you richly. George Mueller, who was, um, he started orphanages in the 1800s in Bristol, England. And he was a very busy man. The reason I'm telling you this is because I'm going to read something he said. And you might say, well, you know what? He probably didn't have the schedule I have. He doesn't know what my day looks like. We probably have no idea what his day looked like. He cared for probably about a thousand orphans at a time. I mean, he had others helping him, but he oversaw the orphanage. orphanages. Here's what he said. He said, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's, the Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. You hear that? Does that sound too drastic? Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last 35 years. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. Having experimental acquaintance, that's that Honey is sweet because I taste it. Not because someone told me it was. 
experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. And when we have this, we will overflow in gratitude. Complaining will just, not magically, but supernaturally, just kind of scatter, be out of there. It is not as though the only thing you'll ever give thanks for is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the only thing that we should ever give thanks to God for is that he died on the cross for sins or that we're going to heaven. Rather, when the word of Christ is dwelling richly and powerfully in you and I, we begin to see all of life from a different vantage point. We begin to see all of life. It's almost like it's almost like we're given a new set of spectacles. I don't wear glasses, but if you do, like putting on a new set of glasses and seeing everything through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is why I say gospel consciousness. An increase in gospel consciousness. Because you begin to see, you begin to be more and more aware of what God has done through Christ. So that this begins to dominate your life. It's like it casts its shadow over all of your life. What God has accomplished and is now doing because of what Christ did and promises to do in the future through Jesus Christ. And the reason this is so is because when the gospel is deeply affecting your life, it is nothing other than the life of Jesus himself by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Paul said this. He prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. That the people of Ephesus would have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith. And a passage that is so similar to these verses in Colossians 3 is Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, which starts with this. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to God and give thanks in all things and for all things. C.S. Lewis once said, Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has. And he went on to say, I call this life a good infection. It's being infected with the life of Christ. Isn't that what we want? I mean, every true Christian, isn't that what we, we want? I mean, isn't there something inside of us that just knows that there is more? Knows that if Christ really is in me, that there's more to be known and experienced and enjoyed in him. Being infected with the life of Christ will result in a life overflowing with gratitude. So I want to ask you a question. If you would say this morning, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is my savior. I believe he is my Lord. I believe he died on the cross, not just generally for the world, but even for me. Let me ask you this question. How does God feel about you right now? 
And how do you come to that conclusion? How does God feel about you right now? When he looks down upon you, how does he view you? Do you see yourself as accepted by God? Do you feel the weight of being accepted by the God of the universe? Do you believe that God accepts you right now, regardless of how good or bad your performance has been in the last week, the last year, the last hour? That he accepts you solely based on the performance of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? He does. He does right now, this very moment. If you are in Christ, you could never be more accepted by God. You could never be more approved by God if you are in Christ now. That's what we sang earlier. My hope is built. These aren't just words, right? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you believe right now you are a beloved child of God because of Christ? Do you believe that God loves you now? Right now, this very moment, Not because you have loved him so well or because you gave to the poor or because you're giving to the poor or because of anything that you do or anything that you could do, but because of sheer grace. Do you believe because you are in Christ, he could never love you more than he does right now? It's true. Do you believe that he delights in you? Okay, we can, we can accept that we're accepted, kind of. I mean, it's easier to accept that we're accepted. It's, easy to, it's easier to accept even that we're loved as a child. But do you believe he delights in you? Like a bridegroom delights in his bride. The truth is, he does. Gospel consciousness creates joyful, singing gratitude. Don't settle for anything less. Jesus died to bring you here. All right, second point, and it will not be nearly as long as the first one, I promise. Gospel togetherness. So we have gospel consciousness. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Gospel togetherness. In verse 16, again, there's two words. The words, one another. Teaching and admonishing one another. These two words are key indicators throughout all the New Testament for how we are to understand the life of the church. When we are together, when the word of Christ is dwelling richly in you, and in you, and in all of us, and in me, and we are gathered together. Oh, how powerful and sweet that is. We begin speaking to one another. We begin admonishing and teaching one another. And what are we saying? What are we speaking to each other? What we need to hear, which is the gospel, the word of Christ. 
this word of Christ, the message will come out of us and it will be aimed at one another. And I don't know about you, but I need this. I desperately need this. When I am, when I am isolated from people, I don't do well. In fact, we don't do well at anything when we're isolated from people, but I certainly don't do well at believing the gospel. Friday mornings, I have two appointments on Fridays, almost every week. And they are so deeply encouraging because this is what we do. I wouldn't say we only talk about Jesus, but he is at the center most weeks when we get together on both those appointments. And it is so deeply encouraging. So when we gather together, when you are full of the, of the word of Christ and it is dwelling in you richly, this amazing message of Jesus, life is in you and it's going forth from you and you're speaking in, into others, what happens? Life multiplies, thanksgiving multiplies. That's cool, don't you think? Could you imagine just being in a place? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we were a group of people, and, and maybe we are, I don't know. I think God would love to take us here. If we would be a group of people, when we gather together, we just cannot stop bragging on Jesus. We just can't stop it. And others come in and they're like, man, these people are infected with something. And we know what it is, right? It's Christ and his life. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.15. He says, as grace extends to more and more people. This means by speaking the word of Christ, grace is going to other people. This life that is in us, it's going to more and more people. Listen to what he says. It increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. I'm not talking about human flattery. I'm not talking about how we, we just get together and talk about how great, I just tell you how great you are. I'm talking about magnifying Jesus Christ. And we can't stop because his word is in us, richly dwelling within us. We are, we've done, I'm not saying we have, but Going forward, we've done what George Mueller said. We took his advice. He seems to speak with authority. We've taken his advice. And we're like, that's most important thing to do. And we gather together. And what comes out is life. And we talk about Christ and who he is and what he's done. And what he can do now in the midst of our situation and circumstances. Deep togetherness in the gospel increases Joyful, singing, thankfulness. And then the last point is, the last thing is, do life in the gospel. Verse 17 says this, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The emphasis in this verse, in the original language, in the original, in, in the original text, is whatever or everything. We are not given some strict list of things we can do and said, now when you do these 10 things, make sure you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks. He's saying, in everything you do, in all that you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it as a representative of Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him.
Some of us may think that while we're reading our Bibles or while we're praying or when we're singing in church or when we are telling somebody else about Jesus, then we are doing something worth doing in the name of Jesus. It's not that way in everything you do. Do it in the name of Jesus Christ and do it giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. Here's how I think this works. When Christ's word is dwelling in us abundantly, powerfully, then the whole world is before us. And whatever you do, whatever you have before you to do today, do it in the name of Jesus. And do it giving thanks to God through Christ. John 15, 7 is a verse that came to my mind that I think is very similar to this. Jesus said this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Now, you and I can think of things that we should never ask God for, right? Even if we really wanted it, we should never ask him for it. Jesus is saying, when you're abiding in me and my words are richly dwelling and abiding in you, you can ask for whatever you wish. That's amazing. Why? Because we're going to wish the we're going to wish the right things when his word is abiding in us, when it's deeply dwelling within us. Similarly, when his word is dwelling in us richly, do whatever you do. And do it in the name of Jesus Christ as a representative of Christ and do it with thanksgiving. So the gospel casting its shadow over all of our lives transforms all of life and it removes the secular and sacred dichotomy. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So here's how this works, I think. Whether you're feeding your kids dinner or telling someone about Jesus, do it in the name of Jesus and give thanks. Whether you're reading your Bible or under the kitchen sink fixing a leaky faucet, do it in the name of Jesus and give thanks. Whether you're feeding the homeless or sitting at the table with an amazing spread before you that you are going to eat. Do it in the name of Jesus and give thanks. If you're going to church or the gas station, do it in the name of Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. If you are in your dream job and it couldn't get any better, or if you're in a job that you really don't like very much, do it in the name of Jesus Christ and do it giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you are writing a love note to your spouse or you need to talk to someone about something difficult, do it in the name of Jesus Christ and do it giving thanks to God through him. Do it all representing Christ well. And give thanks to God. People may be like, I hope people be like this. What is wrong with you? What the heck is wrong with you? 
Wouldn't it be amazing if someone's like, I've never met someone like you before. And here's what it is. All of life is worship. Right? All of life is meant to be worship. I shouldn't say it is for us, maybe, but it's meant to be worship. Someone's like, I just don't get you. You say, th- you're praising God all the time. You always have a positive outlook on things. Maybe you're not even verbalizing, thank you, Jesus. But you just always see things from a certain perspective. What is wrong with you? Or, I've never met someone like you. Or even better, can I get together and talk with you? I need to, I need some of what you have. It's that infection, the good infection that C.S. Lewis talked about. So this morning, is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Is it something you know is amazing because you've tasted it? Or is it something you think is amazing because you've heard it many times? The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you would say, if you would honestly say, and I would, I would honestly say this about myself. The sweetness of the gospel. I know it's sweet. And I would maybe even say I've tasted it as sweet before, but right now, not so much. If you could honestly say that this morning, don't settle for that. Don't say, well, it's okay, you know. We all have ebbs and flows in life. No, 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 no. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly now. Let it come to you right now. I go back to Ephesians 5 where Paul, the same author, says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another with joy in your heart and gratitude to God. Those two, these two passages, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, and Colossians 3, 16 and 17, are so similar. I can't imagine Paul didn't see this massive connection between these two. When you are full of the word of Christ, you are full of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he is going to direct you to Jesus Christ and all that he's done to set you free. And make you a new person. He loves to magnify Christ. So I want to close in prayer this morning. And I want to do this, okay? I would be, I would be sad. If you thought good stuff, well, whether you said good stuff or not, I would be sad if you walked out of here unaffected by our time this morning at a heart level. Not sad for myself, but it'd be sad for you and for us as a church. And so I I don't want to do that. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to know that God, I mean, think about this. He commands us, it's a passive command in a sense, but he commands us to Be filled with the word of Christ. He commands us to be full of the Holy Spirit. We can't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. 
We can't say, I'm just going to pour something on me and just call it Holy Spirit. Pretend something happened, right? So we need God to fulfill or do what he commands us. We need him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So I think we need to come to God this morning and say, I need your word to dwell in me richly. I want to be abounding in thanksgiving. And maybe some here this morning would just say, I don't know that I've ever tasted the sweetness of the gospel. Today, Christ comes to you and gives himself to you. And as it says in Revelation 3, knocks on the door and will come in and dine with you and make his presence sweet in your life if you'll let him. So let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Let's not be in a hurry here. I don't want to take a long time, but let's take a moment or two and let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and make this word live in us and bring the word of Christ to bear in our hearts in such a powerful way, such a rich and deep way. Father in heaven, we are truly grateful that you predestined us to become adopted as children. I mean, before the foundation of the world, you had your eye on us. That's so amazing, God. We may feel forgotten. We may feel like we've been overlooked. But if we are in Christ, you have always had your eye on us. You've always loved us with an everlasting love and determined to do whatever you needed to do to save us through Christ. And you did it, God, and we thank you for it. God, today I pray in Jesus' name that this word, the very word of Christ, would come in a deep and rich way and dwell in our hearts. That we would not just know about its sweetness, but we would taste of its sweetness. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and make it real. And give us a taste of Christ today. So that we sing. So that we sing. So that we become singers. So that, at least in our hearts. And so that we are full of and overflowing with gratitude. God, come and do this, I pray. You must do this, Lord. You must do this. Let us not, God, settle for mediocrity. I pray in Jesus' name. May your spirit come down in power today. And make this real in our lives. God, I pray for my heart, for for my life, for my brothers and sisters here. That we would be infected. That we would be infected with the life of Christ. As the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Overflowing in gratitude and joy. I pray, do it, Lord, for your glory and in your name, so that whatever we do, whatever we do, whatever we have before us to do today, certainly want to be led by your spirit, but whatever it is that we have before us today, we would do it in the name of Jesus Christ, representing him well, and do it overflowing in gratitude to God the Father through him. 
God, I pray this in Jesus' name.